Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, I'm coming to you from the White House. We've got Brian Stelter in the green room. He is the author of the runaway bestseller about Fox News called Hoax. Uh, we'll be talking to him shortly. But before, And we have some political stuff to get to. But before we get to any of it, our chief executive producer, Trevor Hastings, just brought to my attention that we made the list, the list, Rick, of the top 30 greatest podcasts on the planet from Parade Magazine. Uh, the, the, wait, the title here is actually Top 30 Political Podcasts About Important Issues. So I guess it doesn't include the ones about the unimportant issues. But Rick, this is big. Top 30. And I quickly looked to it. I was like, what did we get? Did we get 28, 27? Where are we? Rick, not just top 30. Top six. We're the number six. We are number six. That is a, a great chant for us. We're number six. And, and, it's, and, it's, <laughs> and number- because of listeners like you, that, that thank you for, thank you for, for, for talking us up to your friends. Oh, my Lord. But also, I mean, we're, we're ahead of some of the big guys. I mean, even our friends at 538, don't mention this to Nate. We're ahead of the Pod Save America guys, all this stuff. Um, but I, I, I do say that my enthusiasm, I, I got a little worried when I was looking at this list. It's a thank you to the folks at Parade Magazine. Number one, the number one, do you know what it is, Rick? What is it? Making Sense Podcast with Sam Harris. Sam, we're coming for you. I'm not sure who Sam Harris is, but we're, we're five below you. him. <laughs> um, we're, yeah, we're, we're gunning for him. All right, so look, um, a, a lot going on. I, I, I don't think we need to um, belabor the uh, the Atlantic story. I, I, I do just want to make a point, Rick. Um, well, really two points. One is uh, Jeffrey Goldberg is somebody who I have enormous respect for. I truly think he is one of the greatest journalists of our time. I mean, if you go back and you look at his interviews, people like um, King Abdullah of Jordan, uh, his Obama interviews, um, he's he's a very thoughtful, very sharp guy. He's done he, his, the stuff he did with Mattis. I mean, he is, uh, you know, I, I think a very good journalist. So I, I don't question his journalism. Uh, but I, but I do think that this story uh, has been so eagerly accepted in in many circles, non-Trump circles, uh, that that it's glossed over the fact that there there are serious problems. Um, I mean, you know, uh, the opening anecdote of this story is 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 the one that got so much attention that about the president's decision not to uh, go visit that World War One cemetery in Paris two years ago. Um, interesting that it's coming out now. You know. Two, less than two months before uh, before the election, but two years uh, after it happened. But, uh, you know, it's a pretty vivid description of the president essentially describing people in that cemetery as, as losers or suckers. And it's anonymous. And we have now seen a dozen people who were on that trip, including many that were right there when the decision not to go was made a controversial decision, which the president was criticized for at the time, and that uh, the, the the people saying that they never heard the president say that include you know people that you wouldn't expect uh, would be running to his defense, like John Bolton, um, Zach Fuentes, uh, you know John Kelly's chief of you know uh, chief of staff, the chief of staff, the chief of staff. I I, I think that there is um, there are reasons to be very skeptical of of that report. Uh, specifically, I think there may be other things in the article that that are also quite devastating that that um, that, that that might do hold up uh, better. But 
I, I think that the way in which our world has so eagerly held this up and taken it as gospel um, is, a, is, a, is a, you know, a little bit of, you know, kind of gives you a sense of a kind of a standing bias to believe anything that paints uh, Donald Trump in the worst possible light. And it's, it's something that he is, he's helped fuel that, you know, through his own behavior, no doubt. But, but, you know, in any other case where you have a story, a devastatingly controversial comments made by a public figure uh, sourced to anonymous sources, anonymous sources and contradicted uh, by so many people who were actually, you know, with the president at the time, uh, and 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 those statements are are on the record. I don't know. I I I, it, it, I find it a bit a bit troubling. Well, and I think I think you're right in pointing that out. I think a lot of folks have made the, the comment that um, well, certainly sounds like something the president would say. And that may be true, but that's, it's, that's, that's not the same. That's not the standard. That's not that standard. It may be the, the standard that Trump sets for himself. Does anyone doubt that that Donald Trump himself would be jumping on revelations like this about a political opponent? Um, you know, we've got eight weeks left. I'm sure there's going to be stuff that comes out about Joe Biden that is you know very um, sketchily sourced. That uh, I don't think they're going to the Trump campaign is going to waste a, a second. But it does feel to me like. This is among the bigger freakouts in Trump world that we've seen. Uh, amid all of the revelations, all of the things, I mean, it's just the blizzard of stuff that flies by us every day on these beats, John. This seems like a big one. Uh, and it seems like this was this really stung the president, stung his campaign. He has spent a few days on defense, and it's a curious form of defense at times because he continues his feuds with uh, with with John McCain, uh, for instance. Um, also with uh, picking some new fights with with Pentagon rest. That seems uh, curious, but yes, vociferous denials um, and 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 an opportunity for Joe Biden. He has been re-energized by this and and, and sure. probably stronger than he's been on any issue so far in this general election campaign in responding. to to uh, the, the the thoughts and uh, and statements that are attributed to President Trump in that article, and some of the denials, some of the on the record denials are pretty narrow. I mean, we should say it's not you know, and, and nobody nobody can say it didn't happen. But you know, how do you you know you can't prove a negative? But but they, they're all statements I didn't hear him say like that. That's not the kind of thing the president would say. Zach Fuentes's uh, denial was was the most uh, narrowly crafted, where he he said I didn't hear that. The president didn't say that while we were talking about the weather. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe other I mean, they weren't, you know, because the weather, of course, was the reason he gave for not going. The helicopter couldn't fly. Anyway, the president kind of dug himself a little deeper, though, uh, in his own defense on this, which which you alluded to, uh, by picking another fight with those in uniform. Take a listen. I'm not saying the military is in love with me. The soldiers are. The top people in the Pentagon probably aren't because they want to do nothing but fight wars so that all of those wonderful companies that make the bombs and make the planes and make everything else stay happy. But uh, we're getting out of the endless wars. I mean, this is an astoundingly awful thing to say about the leadership, the military leadership of the United States. By the way, a military leadership largely put in power by Donald Trump. These are his these are his nominees, both at the Joint Staff and at, at the SecDef level and, and, and the other senior civilian leadership. And he's saying top people in the Pentagon probably aren't in love with him because they want to do nothing but fight wars so that all of those wonderful companies that make bombs and make planes and make everything else stay happy. That's what he said about his own military leadership almost four years into the job. Well, 
there was a response to that by the chief of staff for the army, uh, James McConville, who was doing a, a virtual event and was asked about it. When I, when I take a look at, you know, the senior leaders uh, in the United States military, when I'm talking, about them, I'm talking about generals, I'm talking admirals, I'm talking sergeant majors, you know, many of these leaders have sons and daughters that serve in the military. Many of these leaders have sons and daughters who've gone to combat or may be in combat uh, right now. So and I, I, I can assure the American people um, that the senior leaders would only recommend sending our troops to combat when it's required for national security and, and the last resort. We take this very, very seriously in how we make our recommendations. And and I, and I think that's all I can really say on that. I, 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 um, I feel strongly about that. I mean, it's an extraordinary allegation to make, and, and especially when many of those military leaders uh, have, uh, first of all, obviously a senior leadership, many of them fought in combat themselves, um, have uh, in some cases lost uh, sons or daughters, uh, son in case of, of John Kelly, or, or seen uh, their family members uh, hurt badly in war, and suggest that they would do it just to help military contractors? And people have pointed out, you know, Eisenhower warning about the military industrial complex. I, to me, this is just a different tone and a different um, attribution of motives than that, because you're talking not about not about defense contractors and people who have a financial incentive in seeing uh, the United States military deployed in, in major ways. You're talking about the, the motivations of the, the people that have given um, their their livelihoods and in some cases the lives of their family members to to the armed services. Uh, and and look, the president wars with everybody. Um, he's insulted um, senior members of the military, including people he's appointed. He's insulted Gold Star families very famously, as as we mentioned. The late Senator John McCain is someone that he continues to to feud with, um, even with McCain having passed away two years ago. Uh, but it is it is out of the ordinary, and uh, I think it. Look, I think this is not something that the president's advisors like for him to 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 be uh, saying. But uh, it is it, it is part of what you see out of him, and uh, at this stage, at this moment, um, it is a, a major distraction for a campaign that needs to get back on track. And uh, the Atlantic article uh, started this. Um, the president's comments continue it. Um, this is a president that uh, you know has has not had. Had a lot of a, a lot of positive days on the campaign trail of late, and uh, I don't think this week is an exception. And he's he's out on the campaign trail again this week. Uh, it's really remarkable to see these events. He had two events uh, on on Tuesday, one down in in Florida, which was not a campaign event; it was an official event. But it looked exactly like the the event that was a campaign event later in the day in in North Carolina. And the, the common out the common thread here is a lot of people um, uh, showing up. And no social distancing, very precious few masks. And it's like, you know, the pandemic's not there. And, and, the, and the president was actually beaten up on the, on the, uh, the governor of North, North Carolina again, saying he hasn't moved to open up his state quickly enough. But I thought, I want to play one more clip, uh, Rick, if you don't mind. Uh, this is the president in North Carolina trying to find a way to, 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 to get at Joe Biden and, and, and Kamala Harris. And he seems like he hasn't quite been able to figure out how to really land a punch on on Biden. You know, he's he's gone at the kind of mental acuity argument. He's gone at the uh, the Hunter Biden thing. Uh, you know, his, his ties to China. None of it's quite seemed to kind of 
hit the way his attacks on, on Crooked Hillary did four years ago. So now uh, he seems to be focusing uh, particular wrath on Biden's running mate. Take a listen. Nobody likes her. She could never be the first woman president. She could never be. That would be an insult to our country. By the way, you know who's further left than crazy Bernie? Kamala. 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 Uh, come on. Uh, come on, indeed. First of all, he, he is intentionally mispronouncing her name. It's Kamala. She'll tell you, anyone will tell you, it is Kamala Harris, like the punctuation mark in Allah. Period. End of story. He's getting it wrong on purpose. Um, listen, I, I, I always hesitate to ascribe particular motivations to particular turns of phrase, but it's hard for me to listen to that and not think that there are elements of racism in that particular attack. An insult to the country for her to become the first female president. This is a United States senator who is on the presidential ticket now. Um, and, and again, the, the, the mocking mispronunciation of the name, we'll see if there's follow-up. But it's a it's a reminder to me, at least, that this is a president that got his start with the birther movement against Barack Obama. And uh, even when Kamala Harris's name was out there uh, originally or when she was first selected, the, the president, you know, at least talking about the possibility that she's not uh, eligible to, to run for president. She likes to point out now that she was born in Oakland, California. No question about that. But that is uh, uh, we will see whether it's maintained, but I think that is a, a soundbite worth remembering for its pretty clear to me connotations. Yeah. And, and I, I want to point out a piece of trivia to our, um, to our listeners. If you look at Donald Trump's contributions over the years to Democrats, and as you know, he used to give money to Pelosi and Schumer and uh, the Clintons and on and on and on back when he was giving money to both sides. Uh, but he stopped that you know, a, a few years before running for president. If you go back and look, you will find that one of the last Democrats that he gave money to and uh, several thousand dollars was Kamala Harris. Go back and look. It's all there in the FEC filings. It's all. So I don't know why he was like giving money. This was back when she was running uh, uh, for re-election as the, the uh, attorney general of California. All right, Rick, we're going to take a quick break. We will be back shortly with our guest. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Hey, before we get to our guest, Rick, I, I understand during the break you got some breaking news research uh, on this uh, Parade Magazine top thirty greatest podcast that we have. We are right there, you know, right near the very top of that list. But you, I, I had referred to the number one podcast on the list, which was this uh, a podcast with Sam Harris. I said I had never heard of him. I, I guess I, I guess it sounds like I should have heard of him. Can you? Tell us, what, what what have you learned? I'm a little intimidated. I Googled him, and, and I've learned, uh, according to Wikipedia, that uh, his work touches on things including rationality, religion, ethics, free will, neuroscience, meditation, psychedelics, interesting, p philosophy of mind, politics, terrorism, and artificial intelligence. Uh, this guy's got a bunch of degrees. He's obviously a very smart man. I, I don't, I, you know, there's a picture of him with Neil deGrasse Tyson online. I am not, I am not worthy of being on the same level. I am intimidated by this man. I think he's in the wrong category though, because this is like someone that does, you know, real stuff, real work. I mean, these are, these are long words that are, uh, unfamiliar to us in the, you know, in this, the, the yeoman's work of covering politics. I mean, neuroscience, ethics, artificial intelligence, Psychedelics. I mean, look. It, it, it says. It says. Actually, I'm looking at this now, and it says that uh, uh, he he tends to get to bigger truths about society and what it means to be human. Hey, uh, Trevor, if you're listening, can you can you can we please book Mr. Harris uh, for our next podcast? I would like to. I would like to do a little cross uh, cross promotion. Let's see if we can get him. 
interesting. And there's so much interesting stuff happening with psychedelics that we haven't touched on. 60 Minutes recently did an entire story on uh, experiments with psilocybin, which was the same uh, drug uh, that uh, Timothy Leary was experimenting in Harvard in the early 1960s. Rick, we, we're going to get onto this, okay? You know Donald Trump wants drug tests for the, you know he wants drug tests for the he wants drug tests for the um, for the debates he's he has said so Donald Trump uh, wants drug tests not Donald Sam Trump Harris, wants right them. yeah not Sam Harris I'm talking about Donald, about Donald Trump yeah I mean I, we're we're not going to literally get on this is that what you're saying we're not actually going to get on no this, no yeah, yeah yeah we'll get yeah. on the case but we're yes. but we're gonna we're we're gonna tune in we may not turn on and we're not going to drop out but we're definitely going to tune in now that was a Timothy Leary reference I I hope you uh, hope you recognize that duly noted all right joining us now we have Brian Stelter author of the runaway bestseller book about Fox News hoax uh, uh first of all Brian congratulations I saw that your book went uh to number one overall on Amazon that is number one of all books all types of books paperback hardcover uh, children's books, coloring books, fiction, <laughs> nonfiction, number one overall. Huge success. Thank you for joining well, us. Well, it's no front row at the Trump show, but I'll just say <laughs> this. I am grateful that I was able to launch before Bob Woodward's book and before Michael Cohen's book. <laughs> Your timing was perfect. You found there the you perfect window. But someone needed to tell this story. I really think one of the only untold stories left of the Trump years is this Fox relationship. We've talked about collusion for three years. Talk about collusion. It's right in front of us. Trump and Fox. It, it, it really is something. And I want to see if you can get us to explain an aspect of that relationship that I think a lot of people either aren't aware of or if they are, 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 are puzzled. The president from time to time, and I'm going to play a clip uh, from, from just a couple of weeks ago, from time to time goes, seems like he's going to war with Fox. Take a listen to this from August of this year. <laughs> Fox has changed a lot. They're probably turning off right now as I speak, but I don't, see, I don't care. I tell the truth. It's ridiculous. One of the biggest differences between this year and four years ago is Fox. Fox is like from a different planet, and too bad. And you know what's going to happen? If we don't win, they're going to go down the tubes along with every other media outlet. They'll all be bust. They'll all be gone. I can tell you that. Nobody's going to want to cover Sleepy Joe. Hmm. He, he does this, and he does it more frequently on Twitter. He right. He he lashes out at Fox. What is what is with that? And how does how do the people inside Fox react? He doesn't want the news. He only wants the pro-Trump opinion. He only wants the propaganda on the air. And when he sees news on the air, when he sees Democrats speaking, when he sees news anchors reporting on some inconvenient scandal, he does lash out. It's, it's a version of working the refs that we saw in 2015 and 2016, a version of working the refs where he complains about Fox's coverage. But it's more disturbing now because he is the president and he's using his presidential platform in order to bully news outlets. Uh, he bullies the CNNs and the ABCs more often. But yes, he does bully these news anchors at Fox. And the reaction from Fox is to ignore him, is to uh, pretend it's not happening. And I think that's because they're caught between this rock and this hard place. They're caught between Trump and their viewers. And if they were to put out a statement saying the obvious thing, which is presidents should not attack news outlets, uh, they would be uh, ticking off their own viewers. First of all, I mean, it's not maybe surprising, but the president actually gets it wrong in that clip we just played. Uh, four years ago, um, certainly during the primary uh, campaign, Fox was often at, at odds with, mm -hmm. with Donald Trump. And you remember, I mean, the only the only debate that, uh, that, that Trump refused to take part in was a Fox News debate in Iowa. 
And there, and I, I want to read, this is actually from another book, um, Front Row at the Trump Show, which you made reference to. <laughs> but, uh, I, but, I, but I talk a little <laughs> bit about this in, 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 in my book as well. And, and when they were going to battle over that debate, yeah. Yeah, of Fox came back and, and hit back. And, and, and let me read a little bit from this. This is a, a statement from Fox PR uh, mocking Donald Trump. We learned from a secret back channel that the Ayatollah and Putin both intend to treat Donald Trump unfairly when they meet with him if he becomes president. A nefarious source tells us that Trump has his own secret plan to replace the cabinet with his Twitter followers to see if he should even go to those meetings. Uh -huh. I mean, this is, this is Fox not just responding. And then I, I was told that, that it was Ailes himself that dictated this, uh, Roger Ailes that dictated this statement. Yeah. But, now, but, but the reason why I bring this up is, is, I was fascinated to 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 hear that um, your description of how Fox PR actually pretty aggressively tries to deal with reporters like you, media reporters, and wants to pitch stories about how you know they're doing you know right, newscast, that's right. which never happened with Ray Ailes, did it? Uh, I think there's an attempt for, from Fox now to say we have a news operation. Don't forget about our journalists. This, this network is not all about Fox and Friends and Sean Hannity. So they will work overtime to make sure that bloggers and writers notice um, when uh, Kaylee McEnany is asked a tough question by a Fox anchor or when Kellyanne Conway, before she left the White House, was, was held accountable in an interview. But those are the exceptions to the rule. You know, um, news anchors on Fox have far lower rated shows than the propaganda programs. People that watch Fox, they want the opinion. They don't want the news. And uh, that's not just about Fox. That's about the state of the country and these separate information universes that we've been split off into. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how the president's relationship with cable news. He watches a lot. You know this. He watches your network, whether he admits it or not. Uh, he watches a fair amount of CNN. He watches a fair amount of MSNBC, a, fair, a, a great deal of Fox, often on, on DVR. What is, what's your sense of kind of the, the, the flow of information? Are, are, the, are the opinion anchors on Fox playing to that audience of one? Do you, do, do you see kind of a, a give and take, a two-way street? Is, how is the president consuming news, and how does that – play into his interactions later with the press on the other side. Right, right. I, I think he's um, reacting more to what he hears on Fox, sees on Fox. That then drives his Twitter feed, drives his day. It sometimes drives the rest of us in the media to react to what he has heard on Fox. And the country suffers as a result uh, because we end up getting distracted. We end up you know, with the pandemic, for example. The, the reason why my book is called A Hoax, I start and end with the pandemic and um, the dangerous downplaying of the disease early on, you know, I think this country collectively wasted a lot of time because the president would go down these crazy rabbit holes that he would hear about on Fox. Um, you know, the conversations about reopening the country by Easter when, in fact, we were just starting to close. Conversations about hydroxychloroquine that were completely unhinged from uh, the scientific reality, the medical reality. And this was all because he gets it from the television set. Uh, I think, um, you know, it's, in a way, it's uh, <laughs> we've never had a situation like this before where he it's not just that someone's informed by the TV. He's often misinformed by what he sees on TV. And that's at the root of many of the, the controversies and scandals that erupt in the Trump presidency. Brian, what do, what do you make of Fox's viewership numbers? They're staggering. They, they continue oh, yes. to be. It's the most watched thing on 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 cable television by a long shot, often um, often throughout all of television. 
uh, you know, I years ago met with a Fox executive who explained their strategy in a very simple way that's always stuck with me. And he just, he had a map of the United States and he put one arm uh, over, basically over California and the West Coast and another arm over the East Coast and said, you know, you all, talking about ABC and the other the other networks and mainstream media, you all think about the people on the outside, you know, kind of to the, to, to the, to the right and to the left of my arms on the coasts. We're talking to everyone in between. And <laughs> I, I that, that image always stuck with me and it, it you know, something that's powerful there that that you know reflects the political map of the way that the the, the, the president Trump was able to, to win the election in in, in 2016 but it, it's not as if boxes out there talking to some fringe of the country there's a huge portion of the population that's watching this uh, every day and you know believing it to some degree so it, 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 what to what extent do, the, do we as a country just have ourselves to blame for a phenomenon like this this is why I think it's so important to understand Fox's America and to understand why the, the content, why the, uh, the shows are so appealing. You know, on an average day, you know, maybe 4 million people watch Sean Hannity's show. But Fox's real power comes from its reach over time. Uh, on an average month, uh, at least 63 million people are going to watch Fox for at least a few minutes or more. And a lot of those folks are gorgers, not grazers. They're going to gorge. They're going to watch hours and hours a day. And they treat Fox like a way of life, you know, like an identity like a senior citizen center and a city hall and a you know, community building all wrapped up into one. Um, for, for people to underestimate that or to, or to ridicule that is a mistake because it is important to understand what's appealing about the network. Frankly, Trump is just kind of the prototypical viewer, right? An older, an older white American male uh, who has got a lot of grievances, a lot of, a lot of bitterness, uh, who feels like... Um, his country is fading away and uh, it expresses a backlash to a browning America. All those buttons that he pushes, Fox has been pushing them for years. There obviously was a, there was an opening. And, and when Fox came on, the, you know, the, the, the phrase was fair and balanced. And, you know, we report, you decide. Yeah, there was definitely an opening in the marketplace for that. And, and, and how much of that is because of a blind spot uh, or, or, or weaknesses in our own coverage? in kind of the non-Fox media, you know, uh, universe. Right, right. I think that is a factor. And I think it's it's fair to look in the mirror and recognize that. Um, I think a bigger factor, however, is this uh, decades-long attempt from the right to say the media is biased, the media does not have your interest at heart, the media is not just liberal but broken and, uh, and can't be trusted. And uh, that message from the 90s, uh, which is mostly about media bias and the 2000s, has turned into a message from the president and his allies to say the media is the enemy. And I think when you're told that every day, when you're, when you're told every day that the news could be a hoax, that people are trying to hoax you, trick you, fool you, hurt you, I think that has a real, real damaging effect that we can't quite even measure yet. It's kind of like a poison that's slowly moving through the body and starting to infect other parts of the American body. So I, I don't want to, uh, there's, there's certainly, you know, the media's self-inflicted wounds um, focus on the coasts, uh, you know, liberal leanings about certain stories. Those are all factors. But I've got to believe that the, and I do believe that the bigger factor has been this campaign to delegitimize the media. You write about a lot of the the, the Fox personalities, the anchors. Um, you mentioned Sean Hannity. I, Tucker Carlson to me is just a, a, a phenomena that you know that, that you know I, I think is always worth exploring. A lot of people think he's going to launch a career of his own in politics, maybe run for president. What do you make of Tucker and his influence at this moment? Hannity 
uh, maybe channeling you know Trumpism more strongly, but it, it feels like you see a lot of a lot of Tucker Carlson in, in how the president is reacting. And oh, yeah. uh, Tucker is you know become a become a, a, a highly watched big star for even though he's been very familiar on the media landscape, he's just he's reached another level. He absolutely has. And if I was writing this book now and I was finishing it now instead of three months ago, I would have been including a lot more about Tucker. He has taken off in recent months, uh, outrating Sean Hannity uh, from time to time. And he his impact in the Trump White House is becoming more and more clear. Uh, for example, last week when the president announced this sudden end to racial sensitivity trainings in federal agencies, that was straight from Tucker Carlson's show three nights earlier. Uh, there was an immediate reaction from the White House when Tucker vaulted this story, which had been in pro-Trump media on the web, but he put it on TV in front of four to five million people, and it suddenly became an issue on the president's mind. And by Saturday, Trump is tweeting about it 20 times. That, you know, is just one of illustration of Tucker's power. I also think Tucker is thinking beyond 2020 in a way that maybe nobody else at Fox is. When I watch Tucker's show, I hear... <laughs> you know, you know this, I don't know if you're going to think I'm crazy. I hear 2024 campaign monologues. That's what I sometimes hear him doing. He's thinking about what is the post-Trump GOP. He is somebody who will will go against the president from time to time. He he, he has on the uh, on 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 Syria, and then I was amazed uh, during the Republican convention. Uh, that on on the first day of the Republican convention, <laughs> he he didn't take it. He didn't take the the, the, the kickoff. He he just did his show um, and got a lot of blowback. And then after that, he you know he he basically did for the next three nights. Looking looking to the future, what would it take for Fox to turn on Trump? I mean, if if we go to if we get into a a situation where Trump is contesting the election right, results right. and you know, d d does Fox go all in with that or does Fox at one point, you know, kind of pull the plug? And, and, and what impact would, 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 would viewers revolt or would, it, or, would it, or would it sink Trump? I have asked uh, that exact question to some of my, my best sources at Fox. And uh, I don't think I've had a great answer from anyone. I don't think anyone knows what November, early November looks like on Fox News. And I think it's incumbent on Rupert Murdoch, Lachlan Murdoch, and the CEO of Fox News Media, Suzanne Scott, to, um, to be responsible and to recognize the power that they have with this platform. Because, you know, we, we know how it's going to work on election night, at least. We know that it'll be Brett Baer and Martha McCallum and the news side at Fox that will run the show. That's how election nights always work. Of course, you know, you look around, they've got these great uh, decision desk staffers, really uh, strong professionals at Fox who know how to call races and project outcomes. But what will happen if the news side is saying one thing and the propaganda side is saying another thing? What if Sean Hannity, you know, uh, is out there saying that, that the election was rigged and then it was stolen? Um, the network will have a profound responsibility in those days if, if that is the scenario that we see, we find ourselves in November. And I think we have to start raising that question now. And I think for media reporters, including yours truly, we need to be asking Fox these questions and see if they will respond. They usually don't answer these kinds of questions, but we have to ask because it is, uh, it is going to have, um, Fox has a huge responsibility. In November. In, in the second part of that question, do you think if, if they did, if they did kind of pull the plug and you know did not defend the president on that and, and, and went with the news side as opposed to the propaganda side, as you say, who hurts, who gets hurt more in that scenario, Trump or right. Fox? Right. Well, I think I, I'm of the view that Fox has a monopoly position, you know, and that um, other right wing channels and the Newsmaxes, the One American News channels, 
They have barely any audience compared to Fox. Most Fox viewers don't even know where to find those other channels. Uh, so um, I think Fox has tremendous power from that point of view. But there's also this sense of fearing their audience. Um, I had a longtime commentator there say to me, the audience has been radicalized. I had a veteran staffer say, I feel like Fox is being held a hostage by its audience. And that, that is exactly the wrong attitude, <laughs> the wrong approach to have. Um, you shouldn't fear your audience. You should serve your audience. Serve them the truth. Well, uh, that's a perfect note to end. Congratulations again on the success of Hoax. Uh, highly recommended reading going into this uh, campaign season. We didn't even get a chance to talk about OAN and, and the like. So we'll have you on again. But thank you very much, Brian. <laughs> thank you very Appreciate much. It. Thanks. All right, that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Thank you to Trevor Hastings for showing up back here at work. It's great to have you back, man. And Avery Miller, our entire team, we will be back next week. 